Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. If you come to church this morning, uh, and maybe this is your first time in a long time, or maybe you've been here a while, you're in for a treat because Joel Thomas from North Point Ministry and North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia is here to be our guest speaker. If you don't know anything about North Point Church, they're like our big brother. They're the one, the OG church, that try their very best to reach their community, especially those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. And we pretty much model our ministry after theirs. And over the years, we gain more and more knowledge and, and they share, you know, whatever resources that they have to all of us, partner churches here in Australia, so that we too can reach our community the best way we know how for the sake of the gospel, so that those who don't know Jesus, those who think they are far from God, can find their way back to God. And it's just a privilege for us to welcome Joel Thomas. Uh, he's a great communicator. He's the lead pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, and also um, recently the director of the whole North Point ministry. He's a great man of God. He's a great friend. He has the best hairdo, so <laughs> you're going to see it. It's amazing. So let's welcome Joel Thomas. I love it. It's a perfect intro. I feel like I need your hat now. So, Oh, it's such a privilege to be here. Um, I want to thank uh, Pastor Daniel and Hulda and, and uh, Pastor Michael and Chitra for, for hosting us. We, uh, we arrived in Sydney last uh, Tuesday. Uh, we're there for a few days arrived a couple of nights ago here, and yesterday was our first full day here, and you have a beautiful, beautiful city here. We, were, uh, we visited Kings Park and uh, the uh, Anzac Memorial, and then went down to Cotesloe and went uh, to Swan Valley. I know you're already tired of me telling you all the places we went yesterday, uh, which is a little bit how I feel this morning, but uh, we went and had a nice dinner last night, sat outside. It was fantastic. You live in truly one of the beautiful, most beautiful cities I've ever been to uh, in my life, so thank you so much for the privilege of having uh, us here. I'm here with my brother. He's traveled around the world. We've traveled around the world together. Uh, he's here with me, uh, a good friend, Pastor Julian from uh, the States, and then some friends from the UK uh, that are speaking at uh, the other campus, and uh, we're just thrilled, thrilled to be here. Uh, I want to start with a story. Um, not long ago, I was with some friends, and we were out uh, uh, sort of out in the evening together, but we were listening to some live music. I don't know if any of you listen to cover bands. Uh, they, they play essentially music that's not their, theirs because they don't know how to write songs. So they, they, write, they, they play other people's songs. And, and you know, they, this cover band was okay. It was just sort of in the background. We were sitting outside, listening to this music. And um, one of my favorite songs of all time, uh, Where the Streets Have No Name by U2, uh, started, the band started playing it. And if you don't know the song, it begins with this unbelievably iconic, melodic arpeggio guitar where the edge is playing this riff over and over. And I turned to one of the guys who was next to me. I said, literally, this is one of the greatest songs of all time. I'm like, this song is unbelievable. And, and I was like, this is just, we got we to pause. We got to listen to the song. And we weren't the only ones. As the song started, lots of people got quiet and started listening to the song. But the band went on 
um, to absolutely butcher the song. Like it was after, when the guy began to sing, I mean, the, the first line of the song is, um, I want to run, I want to hide. And that's how I felt after I told my friend that this was one of the greatest songs of all time. And, um, and I think you would say it was absolute rubbish. Is that how you, you would call it? That's what it, it was. It was terrible. And um, it, it, was, it was literally an awful representation of the song. The reason I tell you that story is um, this happens in the Christian faith as well. Uh, the same dynamic has, happens uh, in the church and in, within Christianity, and I probably don't have to tell you that. Um, disclaimer real quick this morning. For those of you who consider yourselves church people, this could be a little bit challenging this morning. I'm going to do my best to be a good guest and not to offend anybody, but I do want to challenge us because I think there's a lot at stake. And if you're not a church person or if you, you've come to visit for the first time, I invited some people in your community uh, to come visit us at church today. Um, but if you're not a church person, you're not a church person, you may for the first time today feel like yelling out amen to the preacher. But for the sake of the people around you, I'm just going to ask you to, to hold off. Um, recently, I was having a conversation with a friend uh, who's a young adult in his 20s, and um, he's had a tumultuous experience with church. And um, I was trying to invite him to come to our church, and I, I said, hey, listen, I think our church is different. And, and, and he, he said, here's what I want you to know. Here's my hang-up with church, and this is what he said. He said, my, my church friends judge me for identifying as gay while they're living with their girlfriends. They, they, they judge me for identifying as gay while they're living with their girlfriends. And some of you are wondering, okay, Pastor Daniel, who's this guy that you brought in? I promise it's going to be okay. Um, but but this, this is representative of, of the way many people view Christians. And, and it's probably even worse in the States, but I've done some research on you. Uh, there's a guy named McCrindle. He does these McCrindle reports in, in Australia, and he's one of the foremost researchers on spirituality and Christianity and religion um, in Australia. And he says that there's a growing number uh, who, uh, of people, of Australians, who have a negative view of Christians, uh, and their view is that Christians are hypocritical and judgmental and old-fashioned and opinionated. And again, as I told you, it's even worse in the States. But here's the good news. The good news is that faith in Christians is non-essential to following Jesus. Faith in, in Christians is non-essential to following Jesus. However, the challenge that I want to focus on today is that a lack of faith in Christians is almost universal among non-followers. A, a lack of faith in Christians, even though it's not essential for following Jesus, a lack of faith in Christians is almost universal for non-followers. It's interesting. We would never blame the songwriter when someone butchers their song. But this is what happens with the church. When we butcher the the posture and the person and the, the presence and the, and the way of Jesus, people judge Jesus because of the expression, because of the way we're playing his song. And so I want, I want to talk about this today because um, it's not something new. As a matter of fact, in the 1970s, uh, Gandhi, uh, who many of you know of Gandhi, he, he was being interviewed and he was known to quote Jesus very often. He was a big fan of, of the teachings and the writings of Jesus. And he was asked in one interview, uh, one, by one interviewer, why he doesn't just choose to follow Jesus. Why, why doesn't he become a Christian? And this was Gandhi's response. He said, oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's that so many of your Christians are so unlike your Christ. 
And this is the challenge that presents uh, us not just in Australia, but in America and many places in the world. So I want to talk about where this comes from in our few minutes this morning, uh, why we're here and what can be done about it. Now, if you have a, a Bible I, and, and you want to turn Matthew chapter 16, if you have a device, if not, we're going to put all the, the scriptures up here. But in Matthew chapter 16, there's this interesting interchange. And I chose this today, uh, as you'll see in a moment, because of the heartbeat of your church and, and, the, and what's at the central part of, of the message of this church, the church, the Rocks Church. Um, in this scripture, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus is coming to his disciples and he's saying, hey, who do people say the son of man is? Who, who do people say that, that I am is, is what he's saying. And, and some of them reply and they say, well, some say it's Elijah and some John the Baptist and others say it's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus says this to him in verse 15. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, as you know, he, he was quick on the draw, and he belts out right away. Simon Peter answered, he said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He's essentially saying, we know you're God's son. You're God's final king. You're to be our Lord. And which, by the way, this is the only thing the church has consistently agreed upon around the globe for all of time. He says, look, this is, this is, this is the moment, and I want you to know it's the first time this was declared. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus, or Jesus replied to him, he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven. The insight that you have, the discovery that you have was something that was imparted to you from heaven, which is interesting. He says, when he, when he says it, he addresses him. He calls him Simon, son of Jonah. And then Jesus says this, he says, and I tell you that you are Peter. He gives him a new name, and there's a word play that's going on here. Peter means Petros. It literally means rock. And he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia, a word that we've translated as church, but ecclesia simply means gathering. You are Peter. You are a rock. And on this, I'm going to build my church. What is this? This is his declaration. It's not Peter. He's not building his church on Peter. He's building his church on a foundational idea, a foundational truth that's so rock solid. This is the rock. It's interesting that today in our world, uh, followers of Jesus are called Christians. But even before that, Jesus names Peter. When he's the first one to declare this foundational truth about Jesus, he names him the rock. Your, your, your confession is like a rock. It's, it's a foundational truth. And on this foundational truth, I'm going to build my church. Almost as if to say, your belief in me. I'm going to name you the rock after me because I am the foundation of the church. And you declaring that I'm the son of God, that I have all authority in heaven and earth. That's what I'm going to build my church on. It's one of the reasons I love the name of your church. On this rock, I will build my ecclesia. Um, it's important to notice, and, and the church has gotten this wrong. Uh, Jesus didn't choose to replace himself when he left the earth with Peter. Some people think he passed the baton to Peter. He didn't. He passed the baton to a gathering of people. It was, it was the gathering that, uh, of people that, that were characterized by this confession, the belief that Jesus was their Lord and their Savior. The Apostle Paul talked about this uh, in the New Testament. He talked about this in terms of a metaphor of the human body. So this gathering, the Apostle Paul says, look, this is actually the, the representation of Christ. 
He says the human body, it has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. He points out that in the same way that it's, that it's unnatural and dysfunctional to dismember the body, I'm going to save you from those verses. We won't read them this morning because they're a little bit gross. Um, the truth is, is, he says, in the same way that that's dismembered, the same is true of the body of Christ. You can't divide up the body of Christ, which we've allowed to happen too much. We've been divided over things that are non-essential. And he says, no, the whole body is to be together around this declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. All of you together, verse 27, says our Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Not each of you on your own, but the collection of people of faith as they gather together. That is the expression of the church. This is so important because the church, the gathering of church is how we experience Christ. And, and experiencing Christ is central to our transformation. Uh, Larry Crabb, in his book, Connecting, he wrote this years ago, he describes how critically important this is. This is what he said. He said, the absolute center of what he, God, does to help us change is to reveal himself to us, to give us a, a taste of what he's really like and to pour his life into us. And a critical element of the revealing process, listen to this, is to place us in a community of people who are enough like him to give us a taste of him firsthand, to give us that taste of who he is. Gathering and showing up for one another is how we encounter Jesus. It's central to God's transformational work in our lives because the church, the church is God's agent of transformation personally and culturally and globally. It's the gathering of the local church. It's the ecclesia built on this rock foundation that Jesus is our Lord and he's our savior. He's God's son and he's our final king. And we experience Jesus through the body. And when we do, we experience transformation. And as we're transformed, we become agents of change in our culture, agents of change in other people's lives personally. In our, in our world culturally and even globally as people are exported and transition around the world. However, I want to I talk for just a second about the fact that we're, we're swimming upstream and you know this. Many people want to blame it on, on people that are in the news and, and, and people that are creating headwinds. I've, I've read lots of headlines and research about church scandals and, that are creating headwinds for the church, but I think, it's, I think it's bigger than that. I think it began before that. We're now in what's known the information age in, in this time in history. And in the information age uh, in our world, um, there's been tremendous advancements in society, particularly related to technology. And, and in these advancements in our society, what's happened is uh, we, we've revolutionized efficiency. We've transformed the way people connect. It's shrunk the world and made the world a lot smaller. And we've fostered individualization. And we've done this for better or for worse. And while many of these things have improved our world, for sure, there's been some unintended consequences with this as well. Um, when information, in the information age, information is king. And when information is king, isolation is not far behind. When information is king, Isolation is not far behind. Did you know that Gen Z is statistically the most highly connected and yet also the loneliest generation in history? Statistically, as they've done research, as they've polled Gen Z, social media, YouTube, and online gaming, it informs and connects people digitally in unprecedented ways. 
but it's isolated us in unprecedented ways as well, and, and we, we didn't know that. And there's a second significant casualty, and this is the one I want to focus on. When information is king, uh, isolation's not far behind, but incarnation gets left behind. Incarnation is a sort of a big church world word. Jesus was the incarnation of God. He was the physical representation. Incarnation just means to embody or to take on flesh. God's not some, if you're new to church, God, we don't believe God's some far off cosmic dictator. Jesus came near. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, Jesus, he was known as Emmanuel, God with us. And, and he came to be with us to illustrate and to demonstrate what God is like so that we could experience him. And because we, we were able to experience him, because our world experienced him, because they experienced his servant nature, because they, they experienced um, his, the way in, he came in humility to lay down his life to the world, it, it transformed our world. And, and here's, here's just a, 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 a quick insight. I, I think if incarnation, being with one another, God's presence being with us, us encountering God's presence. If that wasn't important, Jesus would have stayed in heaven, right? Why not just send the information everybody needs to know? He can just send the information and, and, and then we find our way back to God, right? That, that's what Jesus could have done, but that's not what he did. He came to be with us because incarnation, presence was a big deal. Some of you would say, but Jesus isn't here anymore. But when he left, this is so important. When he left, he sent his spirit to be in us, to connect us and to guide us. And then he instructed us to gather and to be the church to one another, not just to attend church one day a week, but to be the church seven days a week, to be the church to one another. When we gather, wherever we gather, we gathered as a church last night at dinner. We gathered as a church. We, we toured some of your beautiful vineyards. We gathered as a church when we gathered at the beach yesterday. Some of you, you gather in each other's homes. You gather in small groups. You gather as you go serve in the community. And we're to be the church seven days a week, not just attend the church one day a week. Because this is how people experience God's presence, is when we're together. Because we together, as Paul said, the body, the body is the representation of Christ. When he, when he left, he sent his spirit to empower us. But many people have viewed the gathering. Gatherings like this is non-essential. Now, I know where this comes from. And it, 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 it comes from a long ways back, but it was, it was magnified in COVID. I, I don't know exactly if they use the same terminology uh, here in Australia, but in, in the States, when, when the pandemic hit, only essential services continued to gather right? Non-essential services were closed or were restricted from gathering. Now, we wouldn't say the church isn't essential, but in our culture, what was told to the world was, hey, this isn't essential. Now, we would say we didn't stop gathering. We gathered digitally online. We continued to get together, and some of us got together with, with other people close to us in each other's homes to the degree that we were allowed. But in a sense, what was told to our world was that the church gathering is non-essential, and people began to view that, view the church that way. Some people you know who used to gather regularly. Some of us, if we're really honest, we don't see gathering with other believers as essential to our lives and essential to thriving in life and experiencing Christ. Uh, recently, according to an Australian census, 
practicing Christians in our world, uh, or in, in Australia, has dropped in the last 10 years from 41% to 15%. Practicing, meaning people who, who take part in the, the, depending on whether, what the tradition is in attending church services or the rites or the rituals of church, has dropped from 41 to 15% in the last 10 years, while non-practicing Christians has grown from 20 to 29%. Here's why I bring this up and here's why this is important. It's, it's, it's not to be judgmental. It's worse than this in, in the States. But here's why this is important for the first time in Australian history. The number of non-practicing Christians is nearly 2x what the number of practicing Christians is in our world. That means for every practicing Christian who's trying to follow Jesus with their life and live out the way of Jesus to give and serve and love in this community like you are, there are two people who are not practicing and following the way of Jesus. They're not experiencing the transformation of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus by gathering with the church. And this is why people see the church as hypocritical and judgmental and old-fashioned and opinionated. There's a, also a, a, a statistic that Crindle points out that three in four Australians, their, their major hang-up with church or the church is negative actions and behaviors by Christians. And so this is really important. It's really important to, to not only to reach our world, but to reach the people who are non-practicing, who consider themselves Christian, because the, those non-practicing Christians, when they get dismembered from or disassociated or disconnected from the body, they're not experiencing the transformation of Christ that's possible in their lives that it's necessary to continue to look more and more like Christ in the world around us, to live out our faith. But the, the news isn't all bad. I just want you to know. I, I've given you a lot of bad news, by the way. You're like, who's the, who's the American bloke that comes and brings the bad news? I thought this was a good news church. There's some good news. And I don't want you to miss this because these are the most important statistics. I mean, we're going to put them up here in just a second. 74%, look at this, 74% of people say the value of the church is when the church shows up and is helping people in need. What you just did through Be Rich, showing up and helping people in the New York community, three out of four Australians would say, that's a valuable part of the church. As the church does that, I value the church gathering. 56% say the supportive community, when they've shown up, the supportive community who show up for people who are in need or going through difficult circumstances in life. More than half of Australians say that the church is one of the most valuable places for people who are going through difficult circumstances in life. It's, a, it's, a, it's an important thing. 61% of people are attracted to people of genuine faith. Not people who say, I identify as a Christian. People who live out the, the principles and the way of Jesus, who are constantly reflecting Jesus in their generosity and in their love and in their encouragement and their, their serving of other people. And then this was, this was probably a unique one. It probably doesn't fit on the list, but it's one of my favorite. 58% of people are repelled by public figures. So I mean no shade because I love your pastor, uh, Pastor Daniel. But Pastor Daniel in Australia, and pastors who's like me who stand on stages, and you know this, people are more repelled by somebody who's going to be a famous spokesperson for Jesus in the world. And what they're looking for is to experience people of genuine faith. I've seen this yesterday. We were at uh, one of your vineyards, and uh, a guy was very curious because of the way we were uh, enjoying ourselves together and encouraging each other and building one another. He became very curious 
and began to ask, hey, what, what is this? What are you doing here? And who are you guys? And what are these people? And, and he, he began to, and as we were interested in his life and investing in him and trying to figure out how we could add value to him, he was genuinely drawn. What are you doing? And I don't know, I don't know if he's here today or if he's going to show up today, but I invited him. He's like, yeah, I would like to come check that out. And I think people in the community, when you're living out the way of Jesus and caring about people and interested in their lives and wanting to build them up, it, it does something to draw people more than somebody standing on a stage. So the question is, is the church essential? That, that, that's the question that's before us. Now, many, you don't think you're asking this question, but this is the question people are asking is, is the church essential? It, it may be beneath the surface, but because the pandemic told us that the church was non-essential, we're fighting for people to know and for people to realize that the church is essential. And what I would tell you is the church is more essential than it ever has been. It's why uh, we're here. It's why we want to build up churches. It's why your pastor is hosting a gathering tomorrow for lots of pastors, pastors that are starting new churches, start pastors that are, that are trying to onboard to being a church that's really outward facing. It's reaching out to people in the community. We need more churches than ever before, but we'll not be perfect. I mean, the, the truth is, is none of these churches are going to be perfect. Our church is not perfect and your church is never going to be perfect. And the reason is, is because you're here, yeah. right? And you're not perfect. And I'm not perfect, and none of us are going to be perfect, so that's not the goal. The goal isn't to be perfect. In fact, here, there's no perfect people who are allowed. But that's what makes the church so brilliant. That's what makes the church so amazing. It is, is people's unfavorable view of the church is not because they don't understand that people are not perfect. It's because we're not willing to be authentic and genuine in living out our faith being in process, telling people we don't have it all together, that we need to be transformed. That's why we show up here. It's because we need to be transformed. I need to be changed. And I know I need you for that transformation. Because when the church gathers, I experience Christ. And the central thing that God does to change us is to expose us to Christ. The question is, is the church as an entity, is it salvageable? Okay, the church is essential, but is it sal salvageable? I'm going to let Jesus answer, and then I'm going to conclude with the story. He says, and I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And against all odds, it happened. Uh, it started with the Jewish people, and then the Greeks and the Romans, and it transformed the Roman Empire. It swept across Europe. It shaped the West, which was the foundation of this country. And it happened as those who claimed faith in Jesus gathered and they showed up for one another. And the, the, the showing up was a core essential in the early church. The Hebrews 10 says this, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who has promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up the habit of meeting together as some in the, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more to continue to gather, to continue to meet, to continue to move toward one another because the church, the church is God's agent of transformation personally and culturally and globally. And you, as a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you, you're welcome to be a part of it. And you don't have to get your act together. You don't have to become perfect before you can join it. it. The whole idea is to become a part of the church and to place your faith in Jesus to say, I believe that you're the Lord. I'm going to put my faith on this thing is, that is rock solid. 
this confession that Jesus is the son of God. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of my life and that following him is how I find the fullness of life that I was designed to experience. As you lean in, as you show up, as you serve one another, as you lean towards one another, as you continue to gather, transformation happens. I conclude with this story. A few weeks ago, uh, one of our middle school student gatherings happened. And don't be swayed by these numbers. They're, they're big, but we had over a thousand middle schoolers show up at this camp. And um, uh, we, had, we needed lots of leaders. So we, we bribe our leaders to come because they got to take a weekend off. Some of them have to take off work. They have to leave early and they, they show up and, and they're there to, to lead students' experience, teaching and worship. And then they're there to, to connect with them in small group. And one, we had one leader, one middle school leader whose car literally caught on fire on his way to come to show up to get on the bus to go to camp. And so he couldn't go to camp. And so we had another leader who shows up for everything. God bless him. His name's Will. Will's leaning in and Will's going, well, how can I help? What can I do? We knew we could call on Will. So Will, last minute, scraps all his plans, decides to come to camp. Will shows up. He's going to lead the small group of middle school students. He normally works with our high school students, but for this weekend, he's going to come and he's going to invest in these, these middle school students. And, and, and he did a great job as a fill-in leader, but there was one student in this group who had been sort of disconnected from the group. And, and from the very beginning, the, the leader who was normally there had a hard time connecting with him. And throughout that weekend, this student began to warm up to Will. And one night after a late night session, he came to Will and said, hey, can I talk to you about something? He said, yeah, sure, you can talk about anything. He said, no, 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 this is something I've never talked to anybody about before. He said, okay, well, what's going on? He said, I just want you to know I've really been struggling lately with thoughts of suicide. I just don't know that my life's valuable, that it really matters. I don't know that if I ended my life, anybody would really even miss me being here. And in that moment, his will showed up. And he showed up consistently over that weekend. This student felt comfortable enough to share with him something he had been struggling with for a long time and carrying on his own. And Will was able to encourage him to share with his parents what he'd been feeling. And his mom, we worked with his mom to help him get into some therapy and experience some hope and healing and health. And this kid's in a completely different place in life now. My question is, is, is the church essential? Oh yeah, it is. Things like that happen when we gather in the church like nowhere else in our communities. You think the church is essential? You ask that middle school boy, you ask his mom. Oh yeah, the church is essential. When we gather, when we show up, amazing things happen. Here's the report I got from the student camp. 300 students were saved. They gave their faith. They put their faith in Christ. Came to faith. They were saved spiritually. One student's life was saved physically, literally, because somebody showed up. Don't give up the habit of showing up for each other, for your next door neighbors, for the next generation. Let's continue to show up. The church matters. Spur one another on, encourage one another, build one another up. This is the work, the essential work of Christ. Marriages are transformed. Families are restored. Hearts are mended. Addictions are broken. Purpose is found. That's what happened when the church gathers. 
So thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing to show up like you did today, like you did through Be Rich for your community. I pray you show up more and more and you invite others to do the same, that Christ's work would go forward here in Australia. Let me pray for you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.com.